I want to get into the message today. And this is something that God uh, put on my heart. And uh, I just, I kept hearing this in my spirit and going over it. And, and at first, uh, I kind of thought it was just something he was speaking to me because I was learning. As I'm looking around and seeing um, all of the, the crazy going on in, in society, not just online, uh, but in society with uh, people being at odds about do we go back uh, to normal? Do we continue to, to avoid uh, the possibility of transmissions and, and people weighing in who are, are concerned for the health and the health of their loved ones and people weighing in um, who are concerned for their rights and for their livelihood and back and forth. And then we add um, the more recent development with all of uh, the protests and riotings and and people who are, are passionate about speaking out against the ugliness of racism and, and other people who feel like perhaps some of the accusations of racism have gone too far, the protests have gone too far, and, and each person, each side of each argument all feeling passionately that it's so important that their perspective get there, and if only their little comment, their perspective, their uh, nugget of, of perspective can get out there, then maybe it'll make a difference. And we have this, this boiling pot of controversy and, and frustration and, and people getting upset with each other and, and, you know, people doing things, uh, and, and alienating the, the very people they were hoping to, to bless and just so much going on. And as I was sitting back and just looking and praying and saying, God, what do you ask of me? What do I do? How would you respond to these situations? I felt like he spoke to me. And to be honest, at first I didn't expect to share uh, with everyone else. I thought, you know, this is probably just God's speaking to me. And uh, But it kept growing louder and louder in my heart. And I, I again, I don't want to upset or offend even the very people that I am trying to to be a blessing and to show love to. And so I was concerned that, you know what, I, I don't know if I can say this in a way uh, that won't be misinterpreted. And I I wrote things out and I, I prayed about it. Uh, I spoke to uh, my former um, college roommate, uh, who's an African-American pastor in Chicago, and I said, hey, Give me your perspective. What do you think on this? And, uh, and I said, I don't want to be inadvertently sharing something that, that will be misconstrued. And he said, sure, just send me what you're thinking. I sent him that. He called me back. He said, he said, Josh, I think you need to share this. This, he says, it brought tears to my eyes. And I believe that this is, this is more than just for you. And so I want to share this with, uh, you guys today. I hope that it will be received. Um, in the spirit that it is given. It is a desire um, to respond as God would respond and to, to, to learn how to be like him. And we've talked about that there are opinions. There are opinions all over the place. Not all opinions are the same. A lot of times our opinions are that. They're just opinions. What's, who's your favorite sports team? Uh, what's better, chocolate chip or oatmeal raisin? And the truth is, it's just your opinion. You can be vocal about it, 
If someone disagrees with you, you know, they can probably agree to disagree. Uh, however, there are other uh, perspectives, other opinions that are rooted in something more powerful. Uh, some of our perspectives and some of our opinions are rooted in pain and in fear. And when we have a perspective and an opinion that that about something hurtful that has happened to us, about something we are concerned might happen to us, when, when we are responding out of concern for the life and the health of the person who lives with us, who is immunocompromised, when we are responding out of the uh, pain that we may have experienced uh, because of of racism or something, our perspective is very, very different. And the way that we should respond to people's opinions and perspectives when we recognize that those aren't just opinions, those that are based on personal preference, but when those opinions come from a place of of fear or a place of pain or some trauma in some cases, these situations need to be treated very, very differently. And as I was praying and seeking God and saying, how do I, as a Christian, respond to these things that are going on? God brought to my attention the story of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. Now, we remember that story. Jesus uh, was good friends with a family. There were two sisters and a brother, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And uh, the story, we find it in John chapter 11. Jesus is, has, was recently in that area. He was run out of town because they, not by that family, obviously, but by the, the Jews in that area had run him out of town and he had left. He'd gone elsewhere. Well, Mary and Martha sent news to Jesus and said, Lazarus is extremely sick. Please come pray for him so that he won't die. Jesus gets that news. He responds and says that uh, the this will not end in death. Well, they heard that and they thought for sure that meant he wouldn't die at all. Uh, but Jesus delayed a few days. Meantime, Lazarus died. Jesus then speaks to his disciples. He explains to them explicitly that he is going back to raise Lazarus from the dead. At first he says Lazarus is sleeping and that he's going to wake him. And they, they say, well, if he's asleep, then surely he's, he's getting good rest and he's going to be fine. And then Jesus explains, he says, no, he's dead, but we're going to go raise him from the dead. And so Jesus's plan was clear from the beginning. He knew what was going to happen. And he comes there. And this is where in the story things, I, I believe, get interesting and begin to relate a little bit to the situation that we're in. So Jesus arrives. Uh, Martha, one of the sisters, comes, and she says, if, if only you had been here before, I know that you could have raised him from the dead. And then she says, but even now, I know you can still do something. Martha uh, still had faith and hope that something could be done. Mary, on the other hand, uh, when Jesus comes to her, she was not as optimistic. 
And we talked a little bit about this story a couple weeks ago, but I was talking about a different aspect. We were talking about supernatural optimism at that time. Now I want to look at Jesus's response and how he responded to Mary's pain. Let's look here. It says in verse 32, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus went with him. And it says, excuse me, come and see him. And then it says in verse 35, it says, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. This is the shortest verse in the Bible, a very famous verse. Uh, why? Why did Jesus weep? It's so interesting to me. The, if we read on, the Bible says that the people there assumed that he had wept because he cared so much about Lazarus. He, that he had wept for the same reason that everyone else was weeping. And that was, they didn't think that they would see Lazarus again alive. But we know that's not the case. He had already told Martha he'd raise him from the dead. He'd already told his disciples he would raise him from the dead. It was a clear and obvious plan Jesus had. He knew from the beginning of the situation he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. So he wasn't crying because he missed Lazarus. He had a totally different reason. Now, what's interesting to me is Jesus, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to be open about my own personality flaws here. I tend to be a logical, uh, data-driven person. So when I get into a situation, I, I want to jump with facts. But here's the thing. Jesus had all the facts. He did not come to Mar Martha and say, oh, quit crying because you don't understand the situation the way I understand the situation. He didn't do that. That's, that would have been how I would have responded if it was me. If I was in Jesus's shoes, I would have said, Hey, in just a few minutes, <laughs> you'll, you'll understand why you, you don't need to be crying. I would have tried to convince her not to be distraught, not to cry. But that's not what Jesus led with. The Bible says Jesus wept. Why? Why did he weep? He wept not because of his personal pain. He wept because he saw her pain. Jesus empathized with her. He was moved with compassion when he saw her pain. I believe that our approach needs to come from a place of empathy. Jesus's empathy was so complete that not only did he see and acknowledge her pain, he felt her pain. 
Again, he wasn't crying because Lazarus was gone forever or gone until the resurrection. He knew that Lazarus was going to be raised from the dead in just a few minutes. He was crying simply because her pain was so meaningful. Her, put it this way, he loved her so much that to see her in pain caused him pain. That's what empathy is. And if we look in scripture, it's so interesting to see how often, right before the supernatural was unreleased, when Jesus would see the crowds and then it would say he was moved with compassion and healed them all. Over and over we see that Jesus was first moved with compassion. First he had empathy. I've, I've heard it said that people do not care what you know until they know that you care. As I think about my own, uh, my own temptation of how to respond when I see people hurting, I realize I don't instinctually respond the way Jesus does. Jesus responded first with empathy. He didn't argue the the facts of the situation. And you know, think about this. Martha didn't just say, hey, I'm sad because Lazarus is dead. She said, Lazarus is dead because you weren't here. And even though her perception of what the situation was like didn't match up to Jesus's perception, a knowledge of what the, the situation was, even though she was passively accusing him of the situation, he still led with empathy and compassion for her situation. I want to bring that home. Jesus didn't argue about how justified her pain was, how much pain she was going to be in once he finished with his plan. No, he knew he was going to raise him from the dead. He just said, you know what? You're in pain and that hurts me. How do we bring that home? When someone is talking about the fear that they have over the health of their loved ones and their their family members, when we respond with statistics about uh, mortality rates, fatality rates, we aren't responding. Our desire may be to, to hey, you sound pretty pessimistic about this. Let me give you information that might uh, increase your, your the optimism for which you look through the situation. But you know what? If we don't empathize with them first, human nature it doesn't doesn't go and accept that. When when someone complains about the hurt that they've experienced uh, through racism, and and they talk about the the terror of of seeing a police officer authority figure who was racist. 
And our response is, well, my my uncle, the, the the police officer, my grandpa, the police officer, my father, the police officer, he isn't racist. And that's, our intention might be to inspire a less pessimistic view. But what we did was we skipped right over empathy. Jesus didn't go to arguing the facts of the situation. He said, you know what? I see your pain. I'm going to take a moment and I'm going to see this through your perspective. And then he brought healing to the situation. Yeah, eventually she saw what Jesus knew all along. But interestingly enough, Jesus didn't argue with that. He didn't start. He didn't open with an argument against how she felt. He empathized with her. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1 says the following. It says, If I speak in tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all the mysteries and all knowledge, listen to that, if I have all the answers, if I know all the statistics, if I can spout every uh, scientific answer for COVID, every political answer uh, for systemic racism, if I have every single answer, and if I have all faith is to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable. <laughs> do we easily get irritated when someone has a different perspective of the situation than we do? Love is not irritable or resentful. Before someone can hear a message of hope from your lips, they first need to see a message of empathy, of love. When they are convinced that you love them, that's the platform from which you might be able to share hope in that situation. If someone has been hurt, hearing you say it's not so bad is unlikely to be well received until after they understand you, you acknowledge how I hurt. You acknowledge my concerns about health, my hurt about uh, racism, whatever issue it might be at hand. I'm using those two examples, but this applies so far beyond just what we're dealing with right now. We need to understand the, the issues rotate. They change. But the underlying uh, call in the Bible to unity, it's always there.
we are called by God to seek unity. Romans chapter 14, 1 says, As for the one who is weak in the faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Let's just read that again. No comment. Just read it again. Romans 14, 1. As for the one who is weak in the faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. First of all, I want to bring up what the Bible says about before you try to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye, take the beam out of your own. We may think, oh, he's the one that's weak in faith, but the reality is that may not be the case. You might be the one that's weak in faith. But either way, God says, hey, don't quarrel about opinions. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 6. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called, the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. This is how God calls us to treat each other. He says, I urge you with humility and gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I have conversations frequently with some of my kids as I'm trying to train them as uh, to become mature adults. And they get in arguments about kid things. And one of the lessons that I keep trying to drive home is the value of unity and peace. And I have to tell them over and over, and they're like, but I, but he's wrong. But, 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 and I say, listen, I need you to understand there is something more valuable than convincing everyone of your opinion. It doesn't matter. And, and, and my son will try to convince me that he's the one that's right, and I have to tell him, I don't care if you're right. What I want to see from you is that you value unity and peace with your brother. Be willing to listen, to let something go without insisting. You know, someone said, it's not that people in arguments want to hear the other person's opinion. They want to hear their own opinion from the other person. <laughs> And isn't that the case sometimes where we say, well, I'm going to engage in debate, but really what we're, we're trying to do is to win that other person over to our perspective. And before we have a chance, we need to demonstrate empathy. Jesus, to me, I, I'm just going to admit, that was a 
big revelation to me to understand that no matter the truth of the situation, no matter how convinced I am that I have the right perspective, Jesus didn't lead with facts. He led with love. He led with empathy. He literally cried, not because she was had lost her brother, because he knew she hadn't. He cried because she hurt, because she was feeling the pain of losing her brother. Proverbs 20 verse 5 says, The purposes of a person's heart are deep waters. One translation says, Of the righteous are deep waters, but one who has insight, but the wise man draws it out. I want to encourage you that God says wisdom, insight, and facts, they aren't to be spewed around like bullets. He says wisdom is like water in a deep well. People of wisdom will go seeking it out. We, especially in, 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 in the Facebook world, we feel like our wisdom is something we just have to keep shoveling at people, throwing it at people. But that's not what Jesus describes. He says the righteous person has the wisdom inside and that the wise man draws it out. I'll never forget, as I was growing up, uh, I used to travel with my dad um, to different churches. And we would go to a church, little church here, little church there, all the way up into Canada and northern Michigan and all over the place. We'd visit all these little churches. And, and it was something that, that my dad felt and still does, um, was, was a part of his calling, was to go and to be a blessing to these uh, churches. And so he would go, he would speak, uh, we would go out to eat afterwards, and oftentimes the pastors and my, my dad would just talk, and I would just sit and listen and learn. Uh, I knew that God was calling me to be a pastor someday, and I just thought, I'm just going to learn, I'm going to learn, I'm going to learn. So I would just listen. And sometimes they'd talk about fishing and hunting and, and, and family and, and whatever the pastor had brought up. And then we'd get in the car and we'd be driving home, and my dad would say, so what did you notice about that church? And what do you think that they could do to to improve their service and to, 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 you know, not scare away visitors and to do this or that. He'd start asking me questions and, and, and then I would, I would say to him, well, if you noticed all of these things that, that would be beneficial to them, why didn't you give that list to the pastor when we were in the restaurant afterwards? And he says, because they didn't ask. And then he said, Josh, unsolicited advice is seldom taken. And the Bible talks in other verses about throwing your pearls before swine. You see, we tend to have this thought that my, first of all, we all believe ourselves to be far less fallible than we truly are. But we tend to feel like our opinion just needs to be out there. No, the Bible doesn't say that the church of God will be known 
by their flawless logic. No. It says they'll be known by their love. The thing that everyone needs to see from us is a heart of compassion. And I believe that God's word for the church in this moment is empathy. And I know some of you are thinking, but how do I empathize if I don't agree with everything? And I say, look at Jesus. He empathized completely to the point that he broke down in tears just from seeing her experiencing the emotion of believing that her brother, who he was about to raise from the dead, was, was gone. You don't have to understand completely. You don't have to agree that every aspect of the, the Black Lives agenda is uh, the right agenda. You may say, yes, I believe that Black Lives Matter. I'm not on board with defunding the police. That's okay if that's your perspective. But instead of saying, I can't empathize with you because there's a part of that agenda that I don't agree with, I challenge you. Empathize. Look at the situation through your neighbor, your friend, your brother or sister in Christ's eyes. Why would someone be so hurt that they would want that to be a part of the agenda? What would that feel like? Love them. Hope can be delivered, but the platform from which we gain the influence needed to bring hope is the platform that comes from love. I'm going to close there. I have a few more uh, thoughts, but I believe that the main thing that God put on my heart I've been able to share today, and that is that if we desire to respond to other people's pain the way that Jesus did, our emphasis needs to be less on the logic and facts and more on the compassion and empathy. It's not that there isn't a place for lying. I am, I am not encouraging people, hey, facts don't matter. Of course they do. But that's not how Jesus led his engagement with people in pain. He led with empathy. And then, then he brought them hope. Hope by changing, supernaturally impacting the situation, showing Martha that there was a reason for hope. I want to close right now. Dear Heavenly Father, 
I just thank you for every person who has tuned in today, who's watching no matter where they are. Lord, I pray that everything I have said today was taken uh, in the spirit it was meant in, and that is to be uh, a blessing, to draw people to you. And as we all draw closer to you, I believe we will be drawn closer to each other. Lord, I ask that you would strengthen me to respond to those around me more like you would. Lord, I ask you to give me the wisdom to recognize when someone is speaking from a place of pain, a place of perhaps fear or concern. Lord, I pray that you would quicken in me the wisdom necessary to respond in love and not arrogance. Lord, I pray that you would use that as a platform from which to bring hope to all those that surround us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the greatest uh, story of empathy that I know of is that of Jesus himself. God looked down on humanity, and before he sent a solution, he sent Jesus to live like we did. The Bible says we don't have a high priest who doesn't understand our pain. Jesus came down. He suffered the same temptations. He suffered the same uh, hurts and struggles that you and I had, but he did so without sinning. And then, then he brought us the solution. He died on the cross. He paid for our sin. He rose from the dead. And if you know that Jesus did that for you and you have put your faith in that, then you know that you are right with God. You have hope. Some of you, however, may not have that hope. You may desire, wishfully, to spend eternity with God, but honestly, you're not sure. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, and 10 that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from the sin that separates you from him. Jesus knows our pain. He empathized with us. And then he brought the solution, forgiveness from our sins. If you desire to appropriate, to, to have that forgiveness of sins, I'm going to ask you to repeat with me this prayer, just what Romans 10 told us to, to pray. And when we say amen, you will know that you have been forgiven. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe he lived a perfect life, that he understands what it's like to be human. But he did so without sinning. Lord, I believe that he died and rose from the dead. I accept the forgiveness of my sin 
And I thank you. And I promise to live my life for you in Jesus' name. Amen.